So, hello everyone. Um, thank you for joining us for this EAU TV session where we discuss uh, the new EAU ASCO guideline on penile cancer. So, what we want to do today, I'm joined by uh, my friends and fellow uh, members of the panel, Philip Spies from the United States, uh, Martin Albertson from Leuven and Ari Parnham from the UK. Let me just start by saying, well, that I think we can all agree that we're very happy with the results. And we're very proud of this guideline. I think it's uh, it's been a special project for a number for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, it's a completely new guideline. It's been rewritten totally, so it's not a mere update, but a total uh, revision actually of the prior versions. So, and secondly, of uh, what I think it's very unique of this guideline is how we um, have had pa patient representatives and the big role they played um, actually in pushing forward the psychological and also palliative care needs patients have and how we actually chose as a panel to address this at the beginning of the guideline, underlining it, uh, the importance of, well, providing these types of care in an early stage of the disease. And last but not least, of course, the collaboration with ASCO. We've, uh, we've had the pleasure of collaborating and having panel members from all over the world, actually, so it's truly a worldwide guideline. Uh, with panel members from the US, of course, but also from Canada, South America. Maybe Phil, can you comment on? Yeah, I think it's uh, it really has been re really rewarding to see that we've been able to put a global uh, guideline together. And I, you know, I applaud the EAU and ASCO for working together. I think one of the greatest challenges we've seen is that there hasn't been a comprehensive guideline which integrates, I think, the expertise from around the world. And uh, I definitely think through this effort, we've seen some interesting and I would say some things that are, are beneficial to our patients, which we've learned from our colleagues in Europe who treat this and, and vice versa. And I think there's been really wonderful collaboration and I think synthesizing of taking best level evidence and integrating in these guidelines. Yeah, well said, well said. I think. Um you're totally right. I mean, we all know penile cancer is a rare disease, and up till now there are several guidelines all over the world. It uh, might make more sense to have one worldwide guideline, and we really hope this new one will reach, well, physicians all over the world, actually. So let us just, um, we don't have a lot of time, but let us just shortly go through the guideline and maybe underline uh, or highlight a few changes that we made compared to previous guidelines. And let's, let's start with diagnosis um, and staging. Um, Phil, can you comment on that? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, this guideline was really very important because it integrated a lot of our expertise from pathology and something which, as experts in the field, we clearly understand is penile cancer is really a different disease when we think of HPV positive and negative tumors. And that's front and center in the guidelines, first of all, emphasizing the importance of testing for HPV when you have a diagnosis of penile cancer because it does have significant implications, not only from a specific staging standpoint, but also pertaining to outcomes and, and likely uh, how patients will respond to treatment. And I also think from a staging standpoint, uh, this is a really important guideline because it's emphasized that minimally invasive approaches to lymph nodes thinking of dynamic sentinel lymph node biopsy, should be in the appropriate clinical setting in patients who have high-risk primaries who don't have papal nodes, should be considered favored in the preferred approach. And obviously, uh, there is a component of access to care, uh, expertise, and high volume that comes into play. But I really do think uh, this guideline makes it and emphasizes that this should be clearly something which should be preferred, and if not, obviously, addressing the nodes by either minimally invasive angle lymph node dissection or conventional open surgery would, would be the appropriate steps. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the difference with the previous guidelines that where previously it was really open, whatever technique you use, we now really um, acknowledge the fact that procedures like central node biopsy have less complications and lower morbidity for the patients. So I think that's important um, and a big achievement that we got to emphasize this. Also, of course, since it's not very common yet in the United States so uh, to perform central node biopsy. So we hope this might slowly change in the future. So moving on to the treatment of the primary tumor, um, always an interesting topic. Martin, what do you, you've been yeah. very involved in this chapter, so you're the best one to comment, I think. Thank you, Oscar. And uh, well, first of all, congratulations to both Scott and you for leading this effort. I think uh, you did phenomenal work and we, we acted as a team really to, to make this work. So in terms of primary treatment, if you look at the last iteration of the guidelines, so the previous version, it stated organ sparing surgery wherever possible. And uh, that has two limitations. So first of all, you don't acknowledge the fact that radiation is a good alternative option for these patients in some cases. And second of all, you you don't um, um, you you disregard some of the aspects of the oncological outcomes of these patients. So what we did was we went for a recommendation first and foremost to have a balanced balanced discussion with the patient, informing the patients of the different options there are: radiotherapy and surgery, organ sparing surgery and non-organ sparing surgery, and also informing the patients that with organ sparing surgery there's a higher risk of recurrence. Acknowledging that, of course, this option uh, provides better quality of life, sexual function, and urinary function. So, since the last uh, update of the guidelines, there has been some data coming out that show that in higher risk tumors, um, local recurrence may have some impact on, on on survival. So, we we have made this recommendation a little bit more soft, and we say, well, you you should offer organ sparing surgery in cases where it's safe. Um, because of its profound effects on quality of life, but always inform the patient very well that there's alternative options as well. So I think that's one of the most um, uh, impactful changes that we made in the in the treatment of the of the primary in oh. this uh, iteration. Well, thanks, Martin. Thanks, thanks for the kind words. It's been a pleasure to host this panel, and look forward to doing it many years to come. Um, well, penile cancer. I think it's it's no secret that especially the Cases with advanced disease, with lymph node metastasis, are the big challenge in the disease. They still do poorly, especially in the higher end stages and um, whatever treatment we actually use. So it's always been a challenge to see what's the optimal treatment for these patients and in which order. Um, so you had the difficult task of leading that chapter, uh, Ari. Can you comment on how it was and what recommendations we came up with? Yeah, thanks, Oscar. Well, again, I want to uh, echo the thoughts of Martin and Phil about how well you've led this with uh, Scott as well. But so really, we've kind of looked at certain parts of it. We've revised the guideline completely in uh, in terms of what we do with the ingual management and the pelvic and also adjuvant and neoadjuvant treatments. For the ingual disease, we've really tried to focus down on looking at the techniques. Previously, we had just one technique or very vague definitions, but now we've really looked at kind of really subdividing those down or subcategorizing them based on really a risk-adapted approach. On top of that, we've got some new techniques that have come out since the last guideline or seem to have been developing along, so for instance, minimally evasive approaches to inguinal lymph node dissection. So we've looked at that and we've taken a balanced view on that as well, looking really wrecking the recommendation and really putting out the clarion call to patients and clinicians to generate the evidence to enable that to become a full part of the guideline. Um, also, one of the things that I think which is really good from a patient point of view, and they really pushed it during this guideline uh, creation, was the kind of timeline for people completing their surgery. I think they felt that it was really important. And so some of the data that we put in there and found really kind of 
consolidated that down that made that an important aspect. And finally, those patients whereby looking at with advanced disease, looking at neoadjuvant chemotherapy, radiotherapy, whereas previously these were kind of mentioned, so we've got a bit more clarity on the sequencing of those and also bringing in radiotherapy, which previously wasn't there. And for those who are in the kind of really kind of advanced stages, looking at really kind of pushing these guys down, mm. more kind of trials, collaborative approaches with our MDT colleagues um, and looking at basket trials. So I think it's kind of moved the guideline forward, giving a bit more clarity. And it's really a guideline that's not just Europe and uh, US, but I think actually it's a worldwide guideline that really pays attention to different health economics and uh, uh, systems. Well, well said. I think um, well, you, you, every article always closes with more research, research is yep. needed. I think in, in, in the case of penile cancer, this is, of course, has truly been a challenge. Um, if you look at the normal methodology to do a the usual methodology that's used to make a guideline is mostly, of course, also based on RCTs and there are none in penile cancer. So this has been a challenge. Uh, I think that's why it's been such a pleasure to work with so many experts in uh, all over the world for this guideline. And I think we can all also appreciate we have a, a final chapter on this or a paragraph at least on organization of care and, 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 and recommendations for centralization. I think it's always a sensitive and difficult topic. But I guess um, I really believe for, for rare diseases such as penile cancer, um, to really move the field forward in the future to enable more um, use of things like central node biopsy and ensure low false negative rates and ensure high quality, but also to, um, to fuel research collaborations, prospective trials. Um, I really believe that the way forward should be a form of centralization or at least concentration of care. Um, we are lucky that in the Netherlands we have that, you have it in the UK, but still worldwide there are so many parts of the world that don't. So we really hope um, these guidelines help put that on the agenda. So I think um, just to wrap up, I would just like to thank everyone in the panel, of course. Um, they, may, they might be watching from all over the world, Canada and uh, South America as well. Um, we plan, of course, on keeping this uh, guideline updated in the future. So um, stay tuned and we hope everyone reads it and enjoys it and um, that ultimately patients all over the world will benefit. Thank you and good afternoon. And let's celebrate it. Thank you. Thanks.